In today's hectic work environment where back-to-back meetings and unexpected challenges are the norm, managing yourself is the key to success. In this episode, we'll dive into three valuable tools for understanding how people work and interact in different situations. Myers-Briggs type theory, the DISC work styles assessment, and the Thomas Kilman conflict mode instrument. These tools offer insights into your own preferences and behaviors as well as those of your colleagues, and understanding them will help you to navigate meetings and collaborations more effectively. You can't control others, but you can control yourself. Welcome, meeting makers. I'm your host, Lauren Green, meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop, where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. Meet Taylor a project manager in a software development company who is generally fairly quiet. Taylor prides herself on being detail-oriented and getting things accomplished, but recently, work has picked up and Taylor has a lot on her plate. It's 3.58 in the afternoon, and Taylor has two minutes before her next meeting. It's a back-to-back Tuesday, and she's had zero time to get anything done. Becky is still droning on and on about next quarter's KPIs, and of course, Frank is off camera, so Taylor knows he's probably walked away to do God knows what. Taylor feels the tension rise, knowing that she has no clear actions to distribute to her team. So yet again, work will be stalled. At 4.01, Taylor excuses herself to head to her next meeting, where she has to beg forgiveness from her client, Jerry, for being late and unprepared due to the last meeting running over. Taylor is cut off by Jerry, who says he only has five minutes, so he has to know right now what the progress is on their program fixes. Taylor stares into the camera like a deer in the headlights. She's searching her last brain self for some memory of what her direct report TJ told her last week, but she can't remember. Jerry is clearly losing patience and presses again for answers. Taylor tells him that she can message TJ quickly to check on this, and that's when Jerry really loses it. In front of his team of eight and Taylor, he proceeds to list all the times she has routinely come unprepared to his meeting. Before hopping off to leave Taylor shell-shocked with the rest of his team, he gives her an ultimatum. Get it together or they will exit the contract. What are you feeling right now, meeting makers? Anxiety, sadness, anger? Can you relate to this scenario? What you just went through is unfortunately the symptoms of a perpetual cycle of bad-meaning behavior. Managing through this is not easy. You might relate to Taylor and be feeling a bit helpless and unsure of how to get out of a bad meeting loop. You may have already heard all of the tips and best practices that we've reviewed before in other seasons, such as the importance of coming to meetings prepared with a clear outcome and agenda. But your reality as a meeting participant is often that you have very little control over these things. The only thing you really have control over, meeting makers, is yourself. You're going to hear us come back to this theme over the course of this whole season. We're going to start with a review of three tools for better understanding how people work. The goal of this episode is twofold. 
First, we want you to better understand how you work so that you can start to create a set of practices that you know will help you. Secondly, we want you to understand how others work so that you can adapt your style in the moment. That way, when the Jerry's of the world strike, your adaptability muscle will be ready to flex. So let's dive in. First, there are lots of personality tools out there. You may have heard of the Clifton Strengths Finders, a personal development assessment tool designed to identify and leverage an individual's top strengths and talents for enhanced performance and personal growth. Another one is the Enneagram, a personality system that categorizes individuals into nine distinct types, each with its own set of core motivations, fears, and characteristics to facilitate self-awareness and personal development. You could go down a whole rabbit hole with all of these assessments, but the truth is, is that they all serve the same purpose, a language for understanding yourself and others. When delivered well, you'll learn how you can flex your style. We're a fan of the original personality assessments that most others are based on. That's the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, or MBTI, which measures personality preferences and the DISC, D-I-S-C, Work Styles Assessment, which measures work styles. Both have been proven reliable and valid assessments for their intended purposes. And with so many out there, you can't go wrong with tools that have existed and been revised for decades. A word of caution. Do not rely on a free online assessment of either the MBTI or the DISC. For one thing, they are usually inaccurate. And more importantly, they don't include the most important part of these tools, which is style flexing tips. We'll give you enough background for you to start to get a sense of your type or your personality preferences in this episode. But if you really want a solid understanding, reach out on makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll get you set up with an assessment and one or two coaching sessions that'll help you use these tools the way that they were meant to be used. And one ethical note, just like you wouldn't ask a stranger or acquaintance's religion or politics before knowing them on a deeper level, or we hope you wouldn't, refrain from asking about somebody else's personality style. Particularly with the MBTI, this can be viewed as invasive. The most important thing is to simply recognize that the other person you're talking to is likely different from you. I will note that I am certified in MBTI, and I will do my best to portray the tool accurately and ethically. Myers-Briggs Type Theory is a widely used personality system based on the work of Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter, Isabel Briggs Myers. It categorizes individuals into one of 16 personality types, each defined by four dichotomies. The first dichotomy is extroversion versus introversion, E versus I which reflects how individuals gain energy or recharge from either external interactions and stimuli, extroversion, or inner reflection and solitude, introversion. The way this shows up in meetings is that usually the extroverts need to talk to think, whereas the introverts prefer to think before they talk. When this is imbalanced, you might get some dominant extroverted personalities who appear to hog the airtime Or you could have more reflective personalities who appear to have nothing to say. Consider where you might land on this. 
Do you talk a lot in meetings? Are there a lot of quieter people? In Help Your Meetings Part 1 and 2 coming up this season, we will dive into tips for this a little bit more. But for now, just try to acknowledge where you think your preference is and that how you prefer to think or talk through ideas may not be the same as how others prefer to think and talk through ideas. The second dichotomy of Myers-Briggs is sensing versus intuition, S versus N, indicating whether someone relies on concrete sensory information and details, that's the sensing side, versus abstract patterns and possibilities, that's intuition. This is all about how people process and bring in information. During meetings, this often shows up as people who want to know facts and details, those are your sensors versus people who want to see the big picture. Those are your intuitives. And when this is imbalanced or when you have more people on one side versus the other, you might have either a lot of conversation about generalities or there could even be a tendency to get into the weeds. So consider where you might fall on S versus N and whether you might be missing opportunities to see things in a different way. The third dichotomy is thinking versus feeling, T versus F. And this explores how individuals make decisions. So the S versus N, again, that was how you take in information. This is what you do with it. And that's usually either through logical analysis and objectivity, that's the thinking, or considering personal values and empathy. Those are our feelers. And we see this in meetings in which we prioritize and focus our decision-making more on the impact to people for feelers versus more on the impact to tasks or the bottom line for thinkers. If you know your preference on this and might find yourself judging someone on the other side, in other words, maybe you're a feeler and you think that someone who's a thinker is a bad person, no, no, stop that. Neither of these is good nor bad. They are just preferences. But when this is imbalanced, this could show up as neglecting to consider the impact to a group of people, like if you have a lot of thinkers in the room, or making a lot of decisions that simply don't make logical sense if you have a lot of feelers in the room. And no matter where you fall in this dichotomy, you need both. So start thinking about your tendencies and where it might be limiting your perspective or your ability to make decisions. Finally, the fourth dichotomy is judging versus perceiving, that's J versus P, reflecting how individuals approach the outside world, with judging types preferring structure, planning, and closure, while perceiving types are more adaptable, spontaneous, and open-ended in their approach to life. The term judging here doesn't mean what it implies today in terms of passing judgment. Applied here, it just means that you prefer closure and action as opposed to open-ended solutions and flexibility. And in meetings, this could show up as a tendency to either focus on decisions and action, those are our judgers, versus on ideation and visioning, those are our perceivers. Again, this is neither good nor bad, but where you land on the spectrum can impact meetings. If you have a lot of perceivers, the group might have trouble coming to closure. And if you have a lot of judges in your meetings, the group might have trouble brainstorming, ideating, and opening up the conversation. Again, this is just about being able to recognize where you land and recognize that other people are different than you. In our opening scenario, it's possible that Taylor prefers introversion. And that means that she likes to think before she talks. 
We also know that Taylor prefers to be prepared and may identify with that J-judgment dichotomy. So when work piles up and forces her to step out of her normal prep time, that means she's not her normal self. But understanding her preferences is Taylor's first step in understanding what she needs. And if you know what you need, you can ask for it. Taylor might consider brainstorming some ways to delegate her work so that she can get some time needed back to prepare for her meetings. Let's move on to a slightly less heady model. The Myers-Briggs is not for everyone. Let's talk about DISC. Fun fact, my mom, Lee, was a DISC distributor in the 1990s, and I took my first DISC assessment at age 11. The thing mom and I both like about the DISC is that it's really more oriented to your work rather than your personality style, and there is definitely a difference. Also, people can change their work styles over time and in different situations, which makes it a much more flexible tool for understanding yourself and others in the work environment. Myers-Briggs is fixed. People don't necessarily change their Myers-Briggs. They usually just become clearer on it over time. And a lot of times, people's Myers-Briggs type don't show up in the workplace because they're having to wear a different hat than their normal preference. So the DISC work styles assessment was derived from the work of 20th century psychologist William Marston. And if you're wondering if it's the same William Marston who came up with Wonder Woman, you would be correct. DISC categorizes individuals into four primary work styles. Dominance, that's the D. Influence, that's the I. Steadiness, that's the S. And conscientiousness, that's the C. Dominant individuals are assertive, results-oriented, and prefer taking charge. In meetings, Ds are the ones you see directing people and sometimes dominating the conversation. They want action. You want Ds on your team to help make sure stuff gets done. But they need to be careful to remember to include others in decision-making when the situation calls for more input. Influential types are more sociable, enthusiastic, and value relationships and persuasion. The eyes are the ones who start every meeting asking how everyone is doing. You want eyes on your team because they help create connections and make the work more enjoyable so we don't turn into robots. But sometimes they may need a reminder to focus on the task at hand. Steadiness types prioritize stability, cooperation, and patience. These are the people in your meetings who are never rattled by anything. You want S's on your team because they can create a sense of ease. However, when a situation is more urgent, they may need a push to get to action. Finally, conscientious individuals are detail-oriented, analytical, and emphasize precision and order. You want C's on your team to remember things that no one else does. But watch out for when all of the pieces of information could lead them to analysis paralysis. As you can imagine, too much of any type or an absence of another creates imbalances in the group dynamics, which we're going to dig into more in the next episode. But for now, I want you to start to think about where you land. And most people have two preferences in the desk, not just one. So you could be a DI or an IS or an SC or a CD. So you usually prefer multiple types. Let's go back to our opening example. Taylor probably identifies as being highly conscientious, and this is a strength that she brings to her team. 
Jerry, on the other hand, appears to be very direct and dominant, which could catch Taylor off guard. She could think about taking some time with Jerry, maybe one-on-one, to discuss the reasons that the delays are happening and how she plans to address them. That would be a way of meeting Jerry with his need of having a direct conversation, but also enabling Taylor to prepare for that meeting with the conscientious details that she values. So where do you fall on the DISC? We can deliver your and your team's DISC assessment. And this is a great tool for leaders, and it's also a great team-building activity. Again, you can reach out to makemeetings.work forward slash contact to learn more. Hey, meeting makers. Did you know that we're on season three? That means there are two other seasons that you may have missed. In season one, we give you just-in-time meeting skills, a crash course in meeting prep, that you can listen to in less than two hours to help you get ready to lead your next meeting. And in season two, Meet Smarter, Not Longer, we break down day-to-day meetings like weekly tag-ups, one-on-ones, and even ad hoc meetings to help you and your team improve their productivity, starting as soon as you finish each episode. If you don't have time to listen to a full season, Our season one and two playbooks are available for purchase at makemeetings.work forward slash downloads. And while you're there, you can grab some sweet merch at makemeetings.work forward slash merch. Are you still with me? Because we've got one more tool that we just couldn't leave out of an episode on how people work. And that's the Thomas Kilman Conflict Mode Instrument, also known as TKI. The TKI is a widely used assessment tool developed by psychologist Kenneth W. Thomas and Ralph H. Kilman in the 1970s, and it is designed to measure an individual's preferred approach to resolving conflict in various situations. The TKI identifies five primary conflict handling modes that are based on how much someone prioritizes their own interests versus the interests of others when it comes to conflict referred to as assertiveness versus cooperativeness. In short, to what extent are you assertive versus to what extent are you cooperative when you're in a situation where there's conflict? Just like in the DISC and MBTI, everyone has a unique preference for how they handle conflict. But the thing about this tool is that it's easy to make an alternative choice or flex into a different mode when needed. And we love flexible tools. The five modes are competing, avoiding, accommodating, collaborating, and compromising. In a competing style, individuals assert their own goals, needs, and viewpoints strongly without much consideration for the concerns of others. They are willing to stand up for their rights and may use power or authority to achieve their objectives. This approach is useful, especially when decisions are necessary or when unpopular actions need to be taken. When overly or improperly used, competing can show up like arguing or not being very inclusive. In our opening example, Jerry seems to have a bit of a competitive conflict style. And I don't want you to think any of these are good or bad. I'll emphasize again that when the situation is urgent, when a building is on fire, somebody needs to make a quick decision and you want somebody with a competing conflict style to be able to step in and make that clear decision in the moment. In an avoiding style, individuals evade or delay dealing with conflicts. They tend to downplay or ignore issues, 
often hoping that they will resolve themselves or that the problem will go away. And sometimes it does. Avoidance could be appropriate when a conflict is just not worth the time or effort to address, or when emotions are running high and a cooling-off period is needed. In meetings, an overuse of avoiding might look like an inability to make decisions or potentially not addressing issues that really need to be resolved. In our opening example, Taylor may be showing up as avoiding the confrontation. It's not her fault. She was caught very off guard. People use an accommodating style to prioritize maintaining harmony and accommodating the needs of others. They often sacrifice their own needs and preferences to please others or to preserve relationships. This approach can be helpful when preserving relationships is more important than winning or when one party is clearly in the wrong. But an overuse of accommodating in meetings could lead to groupthink. In other words, people going along with something that they actually disagree with, but ignoring that feeling just to keep the peace. Collaboration involves a high degree of both assertiveness and cooperation. People using this style seek to find mutually beneficial solutions to conflicts. They value open communication, active listening, and brainstorming to arrive at creative and integrative solutions. Collaboration is often effective when maintaining a long-term relationship or when addressing complex issues requiring multiple perspectives. And it sounds great, but collaboration doesn't always work well. For example, when a situation is super urgent, this collaborative style takes a lot of time and energy that the group may simply not have. So again, it's important to realize that not all of these are better or worse than others. They're very situational. There's one more. Compromisers aim to find a middle ground and make concessions to both their needs and the needs for others in order to seek a moderate satisfaction level for all parties involved. They're willing to give up some of their preferences to reach an agreement and maintain a balanced relationship. This style is suitable for situations where a quicker resolution is needed and neither party can fully get what they want. So where do you think you land? Competing, avoiding, accommodating, collaborating, compromising? Do you compete in certain situations and avoid in others? Is it possible that you have a preference for one of these in work and a different one in your personal life? Is there a different style you'd maybe like to try out? The whole point of conflict styles is to make an appropriate decision based on the situation. If a house is on fire, like we told you earlier, competing or sometimes called directing is needed. There's no time for collaboration. But after the fire is out, and we're looking for what caused it, collaborating may help combine the interests of everyone and explore all of the possibilities. When identifying a path forward, some may need to accommodate or compromise. In other words, you make a choice based on the importance of your interests, the interests of others, and what the situation calls for. For a quick reference to help with this, we have a conflict-style decision tree worksheet that you can get for free on our website. You can visit our downloads page, which is linked in the description, and then add it to your cart. To go back to our opening example with Taylor, she might consider identifying strategies that she needs in order to stay calm when confronted by the Jerry's of the world who operate with more of a competitive style. If addressing Jerry in the moment is difficult, she could buy herself some time by inviting Jerry to a one-on-one -on -one conversation where they might try to compromise on a solution. 
So let's summarize. I know that was a lot. In today's hectic work environment where back-to-back meetings and unexpected challenges are the norm, managing yourself is the key to success. The scenario we explored highlighted the frustrations and tensions that often arise in meetings, but it also emphasized the importance of self-awareness and adaptability. We introduced you to three valuable tools for understanding how people work and interact in different situations, the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, and the TKI. These tools offer insights into your own preferences and behaviors, as well as those of your colleagues, which enables you to navigate meetings and collaborations more effectively. Remember, you can't control others. I know you want to, but you can only control yourself. By flexing your style based on the situation, you can break free from the cycle of unproductive meetings and foster better communication and collaboration within your team. So stay tuned. We've got more insights and practical tips in the next episode on how groups work, where we will identify common situations that happen when you put humans together and give them a shared task. Let's make your meetings work. This podcast was written by Lauren Green and produced by Caitlin Murray. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to rate and review so future meeting makers can find our community. Download a visual summary of this episode in the description and be sure to join the conversation in our Meeting Makers Facebook group. You can find our next Meeting Makers Academy workshop on our website at www.makemeetings.work forward slash academy. Want help with your next meeting? Reach out at makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll set up time to chat. Thank you.